0: good morning morning. how good and pleasant it is when God's people come together in unity I invite you to join me now for a moment of prayer God who brings families together God who gathers beloved kindred friends and all the children of God in places of worship to share meals to sing, and to embody how we have been taught to love among each other—how wonderful it is that you have given us this gift of community. We gather here not because we have to or because you forced us by your divine power, but because of your divine love, which keeps making us choose this space week after week. We are compelled in this community by the example of your Son, who loved freely to freely love one another. In this community, may our love for one another display yours for us. In this church, you've called us to see one another, to be with one another, and come alongside each other in times of difficulty. And our church is good at that. You've called us to the challenge of living as Jesus lived in the world, as Jesus was one who crossed barriers to heal, to love, to bless, and to embrace all. And Jesus invites us to do the same. By Jesus' example, you teach us how to live embodying the audacious love we have witnessed, that we may widen this community to embrace all whom Christ loves. We ask, Lord, that your spirit may rain down like oil on the heads of your anointed as the kings of Israel were anointed to enact your will. May your spirit rain down like dew upon the mountain, baptizing your holy, united kingdom causing all scales to fall from our eyes, that we may see how to embrace our neighbors and continue widening our community. May your spirit strengthen this community and move throughout it. Through every crock pot meal for a family, through every Sunday school class conversation, through every prayer and praise, through every block party, through every youth and kids meeting, through every mission, may all of our church and all that it does be shaped by your hand. We pray now and every day for your blessing to be poured on us, that we may open and be open to your molding. Shape us into Christ's very image. Shape our actions and deeds and help us learn how to better live in unity to perpetuate what Christ has enacted through us in this place. Bless us that we may embrace and unite all as you would have us do. Amen.
1: It is so good to be with you today after a very refreshing week last week, our weekend, really, where Janelle and I, uh, for the first time that we can remember in a long time, did not have to hike to a grandparent's house, much to grandparents' chagrin, uh, to leave our children off so that we could get away for a blessed weekend of retreat. Um, we have enough friends here locally who were able to take on our children. And what a gift it is to have friendships like that. Out and about. Uh, thank you for releasing me. Thanks to Jay for preaching. Uh, it is good to be away. It is always good to be back. Over the summer months, we're going to be reading from the Psalms. In some ways, this has come to, uh, come to us because of the choices Jay made, the, choice, uh, the choices that um, Danny has made uh, as he preaches in a couple of weeks. Um, They both chose Psalms, and I thought, what a great way to spend the summer because there is uh, no place in the Bible that I know where we can find such a width and breadth and height and depth of human experience and emotion and faith and encounters with God that range so widely they can embrace us all. At any point in time, no matter how you feel or where you are, you can probably find yourself in one of the Psalms. And sing with a full throat and a rich, full heart. In times of great sadness and great joy, in times of isolation, loneliness, and togetherness, it is all here. And so today we're going to be reading Psalm 133, a meditation on community. It's a brief psalm. Uh, let's share it together. Psalm 133, a song of ascent. Of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows His blessing there, even life forevermore. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the Word today. Well, uh, we are reflecting today, you've probably heard the theme emerge in children's sermon and in prayer and in our singing, that we will meditate together on the theme of community. And for most people, certainly most church people, uh, the word community often brings to mind the images of, of friendliness and friendships like I spun out about our kids' friends. Sometimes it might even bring intimacy to mind. And the same can be true, could often be true, of the church. In church, we speak about community with, with a holier sense about it. In many ways, we pursue after community, and in this generation, the word authentic community is something of the holy grail that everyone is seeking after in church life and what this looks like in the company of believers is so often portrayed you know with with a string melodic background there's an orchestra we look at community as being an experience that is only seen through rose-tinted glasses that we are often disappointed by our experience in church when it does not reflect that reality. So what is true community? How do we achieve it? Well, we get an idea today in Psalm 133 as we listen to this poetic meditation about community. And there are three lessons, three ideas I want us to hold up today as we think about our life as a community. And the first is this, that community is not an end unto itself. But community is first derived by other experiences. John Lennon famously wrote, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. In the same way, community is what happens when you're focusing on other things. And specifically, as Danny pointed out, community is discovered, community is arrived upon in our life together. And so the psalmist begins here in verse one with a statement that seems almost too obvious for us even to say it. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Duh, David, of course who doesn't believe that it's good and pleasant. But the psalmist doesn't put this out there because we're ignorant of this. Instead, it's an affirmation. It's not more information. This is affirmation of what we know to be true. And we are given in that affirmation something of a rough outline or a a definition of what it might mean to be a community at all, at least the, the sense of community that I want us to think about today. And that notion is that unity is found in community, and that unity is found when God's people dwell together. Community is derived from our life together it's a byproduct of that life together it is not an end unto itself and sometimes we get this order reversed I think that we go to extreme links to sort of create a community to build a community to engineer a community that so often our efforts fail and we focus on community instead of real life. we focus on the personal experience of community instead of concentrating on the difficult life of holding together in a life together. That's the name of a great book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that we've talked about from time to time from this pulpit where he warns in there about the danger of confusing the Christian community with the ideal of some extraordinary social experience. Those are his words something that can't be found anywhere else. So instead of cultivating true Christian community, this kind of idealism that sometimes we bring to the project even poisons the attempt because it is built out of our fantasies and our idealism rather than the real stuff of our lives. And so it results in a way of understanding Christian community that's mostly wishful thinking or fashionable rhetoric or some sort of faddish movement at any point in time in society. But God, on the other hand, has called us together into a different project altogether to share a life together that functions in the real world as the body of Christ. And so that means before we can experience the gift of community, Bonhoeffer suggests that God has to shatter our illusions and the myths that we might even bring to the project. Again, I want to quote Bonhoeffer. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is, like to, is likely to bring with them a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and then try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and, if we are fortunate, with ourselves. So if all of our fantastic notions about what community might be aren't the full story, what is Christian community? It's not some ideal to which we aspire, but instead it's the experience that we're having right here, right now. It's the experience that we have had, and it's the experience that we will continue to have together in a pilgrimage, as it were, living together In this place, not just this sanctuary, but in this space, made, set apart for this work as the church. And so David uses this metaphor of a family in this verse. And I think it's a good one. It might be a little surprising when you think about David. And if you read on in the Old Testament, you realize that David's relationship to family is, to say the least, complicated. Yes, families do give us a sense of belonging, and our families, at least the families that I know, are not like the ones that we see in Hallmark commercials. And they're more like those that are described in the Bible, an often unruly bunch of people that don't seem to know how to behave and how to treat each other well. The same could be said of church, not Yates Baptist Church, but any of us in church church. We may be closer to our real families than we want to admit, but really the essence of community is just that. Not only is it a place, like Robert Frost said, uh, that's a home, where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. A family is a place where you belong, and the people there, like it or not, belong to you. And so, for many of us, this comes as something of a disappointment or at least a challenge because maybe you were hoping for someone better who preached to you week after week. Maybe you, pre- you were hoping for something better in this facet of life together or, or that. But wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more. If you read on in the psalm, we should continue this train of thought while. Community in and of itself is not something that we aspire to or engineer or build out, but instead something that we experience in our life together. That experience is a sacred experience. Verse 2. It's my favorite verse, one of my favorites in the Bible. It is like precious oil poured on the head and running down on the beard. Running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of of his robes now you may not resonate as quickly as I might to this metaphor so let's unpack it just for a minute oil was an ordinary uh, material in ancient life as it is in modern life it took on a special significance in sacred life in religious life and the practice of anointing priests and kings signified something special it meant that this person was consecrated, was set apart for special service to God. And the perfumed oil that's being described in this verse has a special recipe. And if you read in Exodus chapter 30, this oil was so significant that its use was forbidden by ordinary folk. You couldn't duplicate it out there in the world or or make it in your back porch or anything else. If you did, you were liable to be excommunicated from the community entirely. The elements in and of themselves are common. Perfumes, oil. You could use those elements for any and all ordinary purposes, but when you put them together in this way for the purpose of anointing, they become sacred. And so we find the same thing in the very common experience of community. There's something that's uncommon that happens here. Many of the the forms of Christian community look a lot like what you experience elsewhere, whether it's on the job or at school or at the bridge club or sharing a meal at a restaurant or talking over the hedge to your neighbor. The kind of people we meet, the conversations we have aren't all that different than what we have in church. That's what I loved about Mackenzie's prayer this morning as she dignified things like casseroles and crock pots and the daily life and the daily gifts that we share together. And maybe we could argue that the fellowship that we share is a little too ordinary. Maybe it's a little too common. That there's more at work when we come together than talking about yesterday's game or how the stock market's doing or anything else. But I think we need to be on guard lest we slip into what Bonhoeffer warned us against. To impose our own expectations on what happens when we come together. What we experience here is the sacredness that comes when the ordinary things of our lives are put to special service because they've been consecrated and set apart for God. Much like the oil and the perfume, your life, Your work, your relationships, your family, your hopes, your dreams, and yes, your pains and your aches, all of that in the presence of this community shared as family can be sacred. The sacredness of your life and the sacredness of this community is what sets it apart because it has been set apart for special purposes the thing that makes sacred Christian community sacred is not always because we treat each other better often we treat each other in ways that Christians should never treat each other but instead because underneath it the quality of this community is one of sacredness how would it change If you approached your life together in church recognizing that sacred quality, setting aside a sense of duty or obligation or guilt or shame, but instead recognizing that there is a special and sacred work that can be accomplished through you as you participate in a life together in this family. I mean, the main point of this psalm is that there is a deep gladness that comes in community. But that point becomes clearer when we realize that even the sacredness of this community is not found by our method or by our technique. But instead, it is made sacred because of God. Community is a God-given experience. And so we read again, God is the only one who can enable us to dwell together in peace. It is as if the dew and Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Two different mountains entirely. Hermon, an incredibly tall mountain, snow-capped and fed the waters and the rivers below. I think this image is really significant because of the inscription that I read at the beginning of this psalm. I said, this is a psalm of ascent of David. And so it marks it as one of what are called the pilgrim psalms. from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, there's a collection of psalms called Psalms of Ascent that were used as people made their way in pilgrimage up the mountain to the temple. These are songs of of lament, of joy, of anticipation, and all the rest. And right before we enter into the temple, we read this psalm. How good it is and pleasant to be together as one. We have made it to this special time of an encounter, of a meeting with God that God has established for us. Together. As a family. And so the dew of Mount Hermon doesn't usually fall on Mount Zion. That's true of our spiritual journeys as well. I doubt many of you wake up every day hopping and skipping along your life pilgrimages, do you? And yet the psalm affirms that there is something about the quality of this community that we can chew on together that feeds us, that nourishes us, that refreshes us. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows the Lord's blessing forevermore. So when we think about community, let us finally and fully set aside that this is about uh, trying to harness forces that are beyond our control or getting our timing just right or that we have to have just the right method or a certain amount of leadership charisma or any of that. That is not at the heart of community. The sacredness of community is that it is God's. And specifically, the fellowship that's found in the shared experience of eternal life. Those are the words that conclude this psalm. Life is found, quote, there. In that shared experience. Where is there? The context of the psalm, maybe, maybe the psalmist is envisioning Mount Zion, where the temple would be, where God's presence was expected to manifest maybe there is where eternal life is found but christians do not look to jerusalem specifically we don't look to any one place specifically instead we look to a person we look to jesus christ to be god's manifest presence in the world john chapter 4 when jesus is talking to the woman of samaria he says a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks god his spirit, and for his worshipers, they must also worship in spirit and in truth. The focal point of God's grace is now no longer any altar, anywhere, but is instead in the cross of Jesus Christ. And there in Jesus Christ, God the Father bestows the blessing of eternal life. Where the temple is often pictured In our Old Testament readings, we now see Jesus has made real in flesh and in blood through his cross and by his resurrection. And so, the community in and of itself is not the blessing. Life forevermore is the blessing. And community is the byproduct of sharing that life. And so maybe in our longing as Yates Baptist Church to be a growing community, we've sometimes reversed the order of things. We thought the problem was we didn't know how to experience community. We thought maybe there's a secret to finding community in perfect technique or perfecting the music or, or having just the right public stances on all the issues or, or having our programs put together in just such a way And maybe if we organize better or differently, then community wouldn't magically come together finally and fully, but maybe it's a mistake to set community as an end unto itself instead of seeing the Lord Jesus as the end to which our lives, and the end to which our life together points. Christ is the key to our community. And the thing that makes a group of Christians a community is the mutual bond that we share in him. It's really the only explanation I've been able to find to have a group of people as different, as diverse, and as kind of broadly placed out in the world, politically, theologically, ideologically, socially, economically, and all the rest, that we could come together and be in one Place like this, that someone beyond ourselves has called us to be together. We're community because we have shared the common experience of an uncommon grace. And the blood of Jesus Christ and his cross is what binds us together now. So the psalm sings, in a sense, live in the presence of God, of peace, and the peace of God will be with you. Dwell together in the presence of God. And the presence of God dwells with you. Sometimes I don't think we valued community as much as we could or should. Something about our culture in its consumerism has often created a consumer mentality about community too. I'll take a little bit of this and I'll take a little bit of that, but that I've just got to leave aside and that I've got to set down We sort of shop around looking for just the right community. But Scripture tells us that if we gather in faith in Jesus Christ, that if we belong to Christ, we have already been bound together. That is beyond question. When Paul talks uh, and teaches the the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The implication is actually pretty jarring. Unity is a given for those who have been joined into one body by the Spirit of God. Peace is not. And even when we feel uneasy, even when we sense that the peace is stressed and stretched and strained, the unity remains. And that's good news. It is a gift of God's Holy Spirit in those times when you have conversations or maybe the ruminations in your own heart about why Christians don't act more differently than they do if God is who they say God is. Charlie reminded us that it was Jesus who taught us all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And love is not the only way you can offer a defense of the gospel, but I think our love can be the most compelling. And those who lament and those who complain and those who protest that the church doesn't look very much like the church, I don't think they're entirely wrong. Those who are close to me and even my own heart from time to time have been tempted to just throw in the towel. It's too hard to try and remain connected, to find ways that we can be at peace with one another and lift up and celebrate the unity that's been granted to us in Jesus. But when I have been tempted to abandon all of this, when I've been plagued by the same questions that many have brought to me, I think about John chapter six, where Jesus asks the twelve. You don't want to leave me too, do you? And Simon Peter is the one who responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so if I cast my lot with Jesus, then I also cast my lot with Jesus' church. Because it was for this church that Christ shed his blood. We continue on the road together, our own lives, our own pilgrim journeys, and we do it as a community. Jesus has bound us together with cords that cannot be broken. Now maybe we can find ways to love one another and discover finally and fully in new ways what it might be to live as a growing community, alive with Christ. Energized to share God's transforming love. May that vision we adopted several years ago now lead us into this summer and beyond.